Welcome back to Voices from Healthcare. Every other week, I seek to paint healthcare in vivid color as I learn more about the human side of medicine. In this episode of Voices from Healthcare. And both times I was the scribe in the code. So every, whenever the code light goes off, everyone just rushes to the room, you know? We're all like kind of in a panic, like what's going on? No one knows. And so it's good to have jobs for each person. And so someone, if the person needs CPR and they're unresponsive and they have no pulse, someone will start CPR. Someone else will start administering the breaths for CPR. And then there's someone who has to chart everything that's going on. And there's a computer program, but no one is fast enough to chart on the computer. And so we just, both times I've just had to rip a paper towel off of the wall and start writing down everything that has happened. Um, which is, you know, it's not the hardest job. That's probably why I did it because I was such a new nurse. <laughs> um, and then someone has to call the code team. And then usually the primary nurse is the one who starts giving rep- report to all the new people who come up. So like there's a special code team that takes like three to five minutes to get up there. So once they get up there, the new the primary nurse gives report and then they'll give report again to the doctor who shows up and the respiratory therapist who shows up. There's just like so many people who come in. So you really only have like anywhere from two to five minutes where it's just the nurses on the floor just trying to keep this patient as stable as possible before the more um, specialized team gets there. Welcome back to another episode. Today I'm reconnecting with a good childhood friend who has discovered her deep love for the world of nursing. Grace Wally is an incredibly nurturing and caring human being who places the patient experience above all else. She has realized the vital aspect of effective bedside manner and has become a crucial mediator between the surgeon and the patient. Grace Waldy is a recent graduate from Pensacola Christian College, where she received her Bachelor of Science in Nursing. She is currently working as a medical surgical nurse at Bethesda North, where she cares for patients postoperatively. Her story is one of broken assumptions and becoming the very real and vivid voice on the other side of the phone. Grace has a beautiful story, and it is an absolute pleasure to dive into it today. Welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thanks for having me. I want to start off with painting a brief story of a patient's possible experience. So a patient might come in for surgery and might encounter an RN, a registered nurse, who will do charting and meet them before surgery. Then right before the surgery, a CRN, a clinical research nurse, might come in for a research study with this patient, placing leads on or uh, performing an extra test. Following the procedure, the patient is cared for by a PACU nurse. This doesn't even touch on a NICU nurse, a labor and delivery nurse, or a clinical nurse practitioner. There's just so much diversity within the nursing world. Could you explain for us the typical education for nursing and how you might arrive at a specific specialty? Yes, so when you go to nursing school, you don't go for a certain specialty. It's just a general nursing degree. I got a Bachelor of Science nursing degree, which is kind of, it emphasizes critical thinking a lot more as opposed to an associate's degree, which is 
just more the technical things that you need to know. Um, but you graduate with your nursing degree and then start in a certain field. And medical surgical nursing is the field that a lot of people say you should start in because you just see everything. There's so many different things that people have to have surgery for. And even if they don't have surgery, med surge is usually where they go after they've been to the ER. So there's just so many different things that you could see. You learn a lot. There's a lot that you don't learn in nursing school that you just have to learn, you know, through life. And so that's kind of what I did. And that's where I'm starting out. I've only been a nurse for a year now, but I've learned probably twice as much as I did in nursing school already in this one year. <laughs> That's great how you're talking about medical surgical nursing as a gateway and people might not know that is that that type of nursing and that type of profession is usually a, a general profession that many people begin with and then right they go into specialties like mm -hmm. a PACU or NICU nurse yep. um, after that time. When we think of the medical field, we might just think of roles within the hospital, but there's a lot that happens outside of the walls of the OR and outside of the hospital. When you were deciding your career path, how did you decide on the hospital side of healthcare within nursing? Um, so kind of on a surface level, I knew I did not want to work in an office. I wanted to work <laughs> in the hospital because that's where everyone is. The doctors, the surgeons, all the different specialties are in that hospital setting. And in the office, or even in outpatient settings, you just don't see that as much. And it's a lot easier to get a hold of everyone if you have questions. You can call family members, you can call other nurses. Um, and it's also, I think the transition of care is better in a hospital setting because like you said, you can call that PACU nurse who just saw the patient if you think the patient is acting not, you know, their normal self, and they can tell you, oh, no, that's their baseline, or no, that's not how they were acting an hour ago. Whereas if you see them outpatient, it's just harder to get a hold of everyone and get a full picture. Um, so that's kind of why I like the hospital. And I do like the, maybe it's because I'm, younger and just starting out, but I do like the three 12-hour shifts, which is typical for hospital. In outpatient settings, you often have to work those five-day, eight-hour shifts, so that's another pro for me. <laughs> Could you touch on that a little bit of like the typical work week or how nurses might divide up their work week mm -hmm. and how they get those hours? Yeah, so obviously I think most people know there's day shift and night shift nurses, and so you typically work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. You work three days a week, and on my floor, we get to schedule ourselves for six-week periods. And so, personally, I like to work two days and then have one or two days off and work one day. So I might work Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, or I might work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but you can kind of choose um, what you prefer, which is really nice. We do have to work every third weekend, so that's kind of set in stone and certain holidays too, but for the most part, it's pretty nice. <laughs> right, right. And isn't that that sense of being on call, like every once in a while you're on call, like you're, you have to come in for the weekends or? Yes, yeah. Okay. There are, you know, I think 
labor and delivery I feel like does that a lot they are at home but they could be on call and they have to come in I if I am not scheduled for that day I don't have to come in if you know like there's not days that you know, I'm expecting a call to get a call or anything right now so you've touched on you wanted to be inside the hospital and like you were saying there's that collaboration and and if a patient isn't doing well you can directly talk to a PACU nurse or you can Mm -hmm. touch base on the surgery and what happened did you always know that you wanted to work within the hospital like when you were doing your nursing degree when you were in that study did you always think I want to do work inside the hospital or did that change uh no I think I always knew I just I thought it would be cool, honestly, to work in a hospital. It sounded more fun, and it sounded kind of faster-paced, which I would like. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's why I chose it. And my mom worked. My mom is a nurse, and she has worked in doctor's offices, and she told me to stay in the hospital as long as I could because it's just a more fun place to work. <laughs> <laughs> Where, so were you always interested generally in pursuing a nursing degree, or did that itself develop over time? It started out as my answer for if people ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up nursing. I just threw that out there, honestly. (laughs) But my mom is a nurse, and she really inspired me to be a nurse because she's just such a patient, caring, hardworking woman, and I wanted to be like her. And then I actually started, you know, seriously thinking about nursing rather than just giving it as my career answer. But um, I started thinking about it a lot, and I wanted something that would keep me active, um, but that that would also be a fulfilling career. And nursing kind of checked all the boxes for me. That's great. So you talked about your mom as a key influence in that journey of she was a nurse and you saw her devotion and commitment to that field and that inspired you along your journey. Were there any other key mentors or friends that really influenced your path towards nursing? My aunt also is a nurse and I think she influenced me more than I realized at first. She actually delivered me as a baby with my mom. (laughs) I was born at home and my aunt came over and (laughs) delivered me, which I think is such a cool story. Um, but she's just like my mom. She was just a really cool person in my life who I looked up to a lot, and I think that influenced me a lot to be a nurse. But I would also say that it's really a personal decision that you have to make. No one can... You shouldn't become a nurse because of other people's suggestion. You know, it's that you takes a lot of work and is definitely a calling on your life. That's really true. Medical, the medical field and going into a healthcare role, it really is a type of calling, and mm-hmm. it's not just a profession that you're fulfilling because of what other people have said, but yeah. even though mentors or friends can influence you, ultimately you are the one who has to make exactly. that decision, and you have to commit to that. Talking about nurses and on this topic, they're often seen as the backbone of healthcare. You know, without nurses, the facilitation of patients wouldn't happen. There wouldn't be those medical professionals taking the patients to the OR or taking them to PACU or really comforting them. You know, as you walk along the hospital and as you look around, you just see all of these nurses just comforting patients and being such a kind presence to them. 
And they're really the ones who facilitate that patient experience from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And they're also the ones who can celebrate a new life. Being a nurse in the labor and delivery department, you have that unique opportunity. Or also comforting the loss of a beloved family member. Could you talk about the characteristics and the personality that's required for this unique role of nursing? Mm -hmm. Just mediating all of those different aspects. Yeah, you definitely have to be very patient. Be willing to sit down with someone and answer their questions and kind of relieve their fears about being in the hospital. Um, Nurses are kind of the ones who help make a hospital less intimidating. And it's easy to forget that, because we're there all the time, it's easy to forget that some people, this is the one and only time that they're going to be there. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, nurses, they're there to help answer a lot of questions that maybe the doctor didn't explain in a easy to understand way. Nurses can kind of put more common words to all the technical ones. <laughs> That's so true and everyone's coming with their problems and people probably are in the best state of mind when they're coming yes. to the hospital <laughs> yeah. because something is wrong with them and they want something addressed and sometimes they can't speak the kindest words and you have to just be willing to take that sometimes mm-hmm. and have that type of patience kind of absorb their fears. Right, right. <laughs> absorb their fears. And it takes a lot of resilience and strength yes. to, to be able to be in that unique position and to be able to go from one moment you're comforting and then another moment you're celebrating something mm-hmm. in a patient's life, which is really cool to just have that full spectrum. Yes. Um, coming into the hospital, so when you came in and you transitioned from your undergraduate degree to your professional career in nursing, was the learning curve exponential? Like, did you come in and you're like, wow, like half of the things that I learned in nursing school are not the same here? Or was it a more gradual progression? Um, it was kind of both, but I'm gonna say gradual because there, like I said before, there's a lot of stuff that you don't learn in nursing school, which, you know, isn't school's fault. There's just so much to learn that mm-hmm. even being a doctor or any field, you just can't learn everything. Um, but it doesn't all hit you on the first day. You kind of learn things as they come up and as you get new patients with different sets of problems, um, you kind of learn as you go. And there's people to help you. Like we have a charge nurse who is kind of there to help all of the other nurses with things that they need or if there's things that they've never experienced before. Like the other day, I had to drain that chest tube for a guy, or not a chest tube, but it was a little wire and it was fluid around his lung that we drained ourselves. And I'd never done it before and it was really scary, (laughs) but it ended up being a lot easier than I thought it would be. And I only had to be shown how to do it once and then I could do it every time after that. And so it's just kind of that gradual learning. And then you kind of look back and you think, I can't believe I know how to do all this stuff now, you know, that I had no idea how to do when I first started. Um, And then it also helps that in the last semester of college, we have a preceptorship. So we get assigned to a certain floor with a specific nurse that we always see, and we just work her weekly shifts with her. So we do three shifts a week, just like a regular nurse. We're there all day, and you kind of 
start out small, you might take one patient and do their meds, then you work all the way up and you're just helping her, you know, with all her patients by the end. And I think that really helps transition you, especially if you're going to work in a hospital setting on a floor. It helps kind of mentally prepare you for what to expect. Right. That's great that they do have those programs in place. Mm -hmm. We might think that as soon as you enter into the professional setting, you're just off to the races and you just start going. But there is that mentorship period and there's that period of you're gaining more and more responsibility every day. And like you were saying, like you drained the lung and then you look back and you're like, wow, like I did all of that. Mm -hmm. And you keep growing, which is really cool. Even after you start to... I had eight weeks where I worked with the same nurse, and he taught me, you know, he increased my responsibility each week, and by the end of the eight weeks, I was ready to, even though I was scared, I was ready to work on my own. That's (laughs) great. And he was there to answer questions and everything. (laughs) When you're in that setting of the professional life, and you've come from your school, there's sometimes a divide between what you learn in school and then coming into a real work setting. Mm -hmm. Did you ever encounter imposter syndrome or was entering that professional workplace just pretty natural for you? I don't think I ever experienced imposter syndrome, but I did feel like I don't know enough to be here. (laughs) My uncle, actually, he is an optometrist and he asked me He said he asked all his students this when they graduate, do you know as much as you thought that you would? And they all say no. And I said no too (laughs) because, yeah, you just, like I said, you don't learn as everything that you can. Um, So I am definitely, and I'm still scared sometimes that I only have one year of experience. I don't know everything that I need need to or that I want to know yet. but there's always people to ask questions and to help. So I think that helped me avoid the imposter syndrome. That's great that you just have to admit sometimes that you don't know everything and that yeah. it's a learning process. Yes. And actually admitting to that is a lot better and it has a potential to protect a patient. Mm-hmm. And you know, even surgeons or people who have been in the medical field for a while if they do not know something or they're not sure of a diagnosis, they have their consults with their other patients, with their other physicians and talking with them. And it's good to just be humble in that aspect of not knowing everything and to just take it all in as a learning experience, which it seems like you've done like through your mentorship and then just the daily, Mm -hmm. just learning every day, just what you can. Absolutely. And it's definitely better to ask and get help than to pretend like you know something and then harm the patient or somehow or even make their experience less than what it could have been right (laughs) you're we touched on it before but you're working at bethesda north hospital which is known as a teaching hospital many residents come through the walls of um, the hospital and many residents are there could you talk about how nurses relate to the residents like what what is that dynamic like yeah um It's pretty, I mean, in my experience, it's been pretty good. The residents are usually the first call when we have questions or need something. Um, We don't usually go straight to the surgeon or the doctor, the attending. We text the resident first, and for the most part, they've 
they will answer your questions and they're the ones who talk directly to the doctor and see what he wants to do and what he wants to order. Um, so I've had great experiences with them, but I do know more experienced nurses who've worked there for years. Sometimes the newer resident will suggest something and the nurse will, you know, politely say, mm, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they're more um, confident to kind of raise those concerns than I would be. But if I ever do have a concern, like some, an order sounds weird or something, it's always good. You just verify it. And usually the residents are, they'll explain. They've always helped, you know, explained their thought process to me so that both I understand better and they can feel better about that they put the right order in, you know. Right. Do you, do you feel at all like there is that order of knowledge with like the nurses and then the nurses who are growing and then the like ner- the charge nurses and then the residents like is there a type of order like you're saying like first I talk to the resident with this and then if I can't solve it I'll go yes. to a higher or yeah for me personally I like to go to the charge nurse because honestly something might be really obvious and I'm just too new to know you know and so I go to the charge nurse and then she will often tell me, well, text the resident to make sure or verify. Um, and then the resident goes to the doctor. But if the resident's not listening to your concerns, you can, you know, go straight to that doctor if you're really concerned about something. I haven't had to do that yet, but I have heard stories of nurses having, you know, to just go over the heads of residents because they might be just a little too hot-headed to really listen you <laughs> yeah know? yeah no it's a very it's a very real thing and yeah. sometimes you have to go straight to the source exactly. to, to address the problem and maybe they'll tell you the same thing but at least you tried you know <laughs> right before we get into the details of the day-to-day do you have any time management tricks that other nurses could benefit from that's a huge thing within nursing is yeah. <laughs> prioritizing your tasks and exactly. managing your tasks so could you talk a little bit about that and that's prioritizing your tasks is probably the main thing if you look at all your patients at the beginning of the day and you know that one patient is just going to need a little more work than the others like they have more meds or all of that um it's always good to kind of know the priority that your patients are coming in not based on you know who they are but like what their issues are because yeah, some some people just take more work than the others. And I always found it helpful to write down lists. Um, and then you can check them off as you go along, and it helps you not forget to do anything. And then also grouping your tasks together. This has saved me so much time because I cannot tell you how many times I go into a room and I forgot one thing and I leave go back in and forgot another thing, leave. And it like takes 15 minutes when it should have taken five um so and that'll help writing things down too you know you have to remember to bring the medicine in bring a med cup might as well do the wound dressing change while you're in there if you need to so I just kind of bring everything in there because there's always distractions and things that come up that kind of make things take a lot longer than you originally thought that they would it's really helpful just to group those tasks yes. for each patient and to do it all at once if you can instead exactly. of keep coming back and forth multiple times. Have you ever dealt with a disagreement of 
between a patient or how would you handle a request that you would disagree with? Maybe they've woken up from surgery and they're in a lot of pain and they already have enough pain medicine. They're mm. telling you, give me more pain medicine. Like, have you had yes. to deal with that at all? Or I have had to deal with people asking for pain medicine when we've already, as far as my orders have gone, I've given them as much as I can. And that's a hard choice. Pain is like the hardest thing to handle because everyone's pain level is different. And sometimes it's hard not to think, I don't think you're in as much pain as you say you are, you know, but there's no way of knowing that for sure. So managing people's pain, I think, is one of the hardest things that you have to do in healthcare. Um, But if they've already had all the pain medicine that they can, I just message the doctor. I tell them the situation. Sometimes they'll put in orders to increase the dose or give an extra dose in between when the others are scheduled. Um, But I haven't really had anything where I totally disagree with what the patient's asking, Um, thankfully. But (laughs) yeah, for the most part, I just tell the doctor or the resident what's going on and let them kind of decide their course of action. But as long as you communicate what the patient is thinking to the person that can make a change for them, you've done your job. That's a blessing that you haven't had to deal with that (laughs) level of disagreement because I know it can be very challenging when the patient doesn't disagree, like he's disagreeing with the amount of dosage or or whatever it may be, and then he's asking to get the surgeon, but the surgeon is already Mm -hmm. in another surgery, and it can can be very complicated to reassure them and to tell them it'll be okay. I have had a patient who did not want anything done and it's kind of like why are you here then? (laughs) But yeah they just refuse all medical care and that's a hard position to be in too because you're like well if you don't want us to do anything there's not much more we can do so we're gonna send you home and then they think well you you haven't done anything for me I'm not gonna go home and you're like well you're refusing everything <laughs> right right puts you in a challenging so, spot yeah <laughs> you've explained that so you're a medical surgical nurse and you're you're treating patients and caring for patients coming from surgery how is your floor organized I know every department of the hospital is organized differently and every floor is organized differently as well. How is your floor organized? We have 44 beds to start off, so we can take 44 patients at a time. We typically have, on a good day, like eight or nine nurses. So we try to cap nurses at five patients each. Um, And you know, sometimes the charge nurse will have to take some patients, which usually is not ideal, but you have to do what you have to do. Um, so that's like four to five patients per nurse and then a charge nurse and then a pharmacist who we always have on our floor, which is really nice because it's just an actual person sitting there that you can go to and ask questions instead of calling down to pharmacy. Um, also the pharmacist is helpful on our floor because we also have cancer patients on our floor and sometimes we have to give chemotherapy and the pharmacist is really helpful in getting that up to the floor for us and fixing the dosing based on the patient's weight and you know how long they've gotten chemo and all this stuff and they are a huge help and then everyone else those are the people who are always there everyone else just kind of 
filters through throughout the day. Like, surgeons do their rounds early in the morning and then are gone, and then they kind of come up as issues come up. Like, if a nurse or if a patient wants to talk to them, they'll come back through. Um, We have pharmacists who work you know, in the low, like, wherever the pharmacy is. I don't even know where it is. (laughs) But they fill all of our med boxes each morning, and then they leave, but you can always call down and ask them questions. We have physical therapists who don't stay on our floor, but they come through and see all the patients that need physical therapy that day. They just go in a big circle and see all of them, and then... um, go back down there's you know the lab people that come and draw blood so there's a lot of people coming back and forth all day but the only people that are there consistently all the time are the nurses and what what does that community look like on the floor between anesthesiologists nurses surgeons is it typically like all of the nurses kind of have their group and their community together. And then, like you said, the surgeons come up in the mornings and then come up as issues arise. Mm -hmm. Or how does that interaction work between all of those? Um, Between the nurses, at least on my floor, I think we work together really well. So, you know, if one nurse is struggling, another nurse will come and help. And we work as a team and we're pretty good about that. and then with everyone else, like the physical therapists, I, I really like the physical therapists that come to our floor. And they're always, you know, really helpful when you need to move a patient, getting them up to the chair and getting them back. And everyone is available over the phone, I feel, you know, if you need them to come up there. I have never seen an anesthesiologist. I don't think, I don't think I've ever met one. They just kind of, you know, stay in the OR. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't. That's the one, you know, specialty that I don't really see that much. But not just because I don't work in the OR. So. Right. You've you've touched on it a couple times, but there's the relationship between the patient and the surgeon, right? The surgeon performs whatever mm-hmm. procedure, but sometimes the surgeon is not with the patient for extended periods of time on the floor. Right. But the nurses are there for the patient, could you touch on how you mediate that relationship between the doctor and the patient? So if the patient is telling you, like, what's the diagnosis or, like, what's my recovery look like? And if you mm-hmm. may not know an answer or something like that, could you just yeah. explain how you facilitate that a little bit? It is kind of a tough stop, spot to be in, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, like you said, the surgeon will see the patient right before surgery and tell them, you know, what to expect, what's going on. They have the surgery. They are recovering in the PACU, and I think sometimes the surgeon will go talk to them while they're down there, but that's tough because they are waking up. They probably don't even remember what the guy said after he leaves. Um, So then they come up to our floor, and I would say either the surgeon or the resident comes and checks on them at least once a day, but they always have questions you know, did they find anything or how did it go? And those are really tough to answer because I don't like to tell people, you know, if they found something serious, I am not going to be the one to let them know that because you don't want to tell them something wrong and you, you know, definitely don't want to explain it in a way that is misleading. And so we like to wait and let the surgeons talk to them 
but sometimes they're waiting for a while. And so it's just like a really tough spot to be in when the patient has a lot of questions that you aren't really qualified to answer. So we'll reach out to the surgeon and I usually just say, can you come talk to this patient? They have a lot of questions. They wanna know what the test results are, how the surgery went, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's a, kind of a tightrope and you know, how much information do I give them? But also I'm honestly not sure what I'm talking about, so <laughs> I don't wanna tell them too much, so. That def- yeah, that definitely can be a challenging position to mediate that relationship yeah. and you don't definitely don't want to give false information exactly. but then you also do want to comfort them and let them know everything that you can mm-hmm. that is accurate so it's tough <laughs> we, so we've we've gone and talked about the day-to-day how your floor is organized and kind of going into what the different professions are within that floor and, and what you might see in a day on the daily happenings of the floor, what happens on the floor? There's a lot that happens on a day-to-day basis. I want to just delve into the world of IVs for a little bit. Um, nurses are very familiar with IVs mm-hmm. and that whole world. Could you talk about the specifics of this a little bit, such as how dosing might be different for children versus adults, or just yes. a little bit about that? So first off, everyone has to have an IV some people really don't like that, but in case they need it, you know, their blood pressure drops and we have to give them fluids really fast. Even if they're not getting any medication, we really just have to have an IV. So that's why everyone has one. In the movies, in the hospital, everyone has an <laughs> IV. Um, but other than that, for the dosing, it's really nice because pharmacy does the dosing for you. Like they will mix up an IV medication based on the patient's weight or their age, kind of a lot of different factors. Um, You learn in nursing school how to do the math for weight-based dosing, but in the real world, we don't have to use that, you know, unless end of world situation, (laughs) you know, all the computers go down, maybe we would, but as of right now, we don't have to. It is different for kids, which is why I was always scared to go into pediatric nursing because children's dosing is so specific to their weight and their age. Adults, it's usually more like, you know, 18 to 45 year olds, they're kind of the same. But kids, it's so much more specific. And I think pharmacists have a lot to do with that dosing as well, but you have to watch them a lot closer for adverse reactions. But with IVs, there's a lot of medications that are harmful to your veins. You have to look for infiltration. If it comes out of the vein and it's just going into their arm, their arm gets all puffy. You have to look for redness. Potassium is notorious for being super irritating. And so you have to run it with a bunch of saline. And yeah, there's a lot that goes into them. But I think it's really fun to set up the IV pumps and get all the wires correct and that's a fun part of the job. <laughs> and even with drawing blood, there are specific veins that nurses target, right? It's not just yes. finding the biggest one always, but there's a priority list of the ones to search for. Yeah, you also, and also it kind of has to do with placement. You don't really like to go, your anacubital vein is right in your elbow. And 
it's a really easy vein to get, but it's right in their elbow. So every time they bend their arm, the IV pump starts beeping. So I always try to get them in their forearms. Also their hands, hands kind of hurt to have an IV in just because they're more sensitive. So forearms are the best place, I think. But it's hard because the veins aren't as obvious down there. Yeah, yeah. When, so we've talked about that. It's almost like engineering almost, like the world yeah. of IVs and hooking them up and recognizing what needs to be connected to what. And mm -hmm. it's a lot more complicated than we might think, just like looking at it from an outside yeah. perspective. And then there's also certain medications that can't run together or, you know, it messes up with the effect effectiveness of them. And you have to like search it online on this special pharmacy website to see if they're compatible. And yeah, a lot goes into it. We would hope that a code would never happen. Um, have you ever been involved in a code during your time? Yes, so I've been involved in two. And both times I was the scribe in the code. So every, whenever the code light goes off, everyone just rushes to the room, you know? We're all like kind of in a panic, like what's going on? No one knows. And so it's good to have jobs for each person. And so someone, if the person needs CPR and they're unresponsive and they have no pulse, someone will start CPR. Someone else will start administering the breaths for CPR. And then there's someone who has to chart everything that's going on. And there's a computer program, but no one is fast enough <laughs> to chart on the computer. <laughs> and so we just, both times I've just had to rip a paper towel off of the wall and start writing down everything that has happened. It's not the hardest job. That's probably why I did it because I was such a new nurse. <laughs> um, and then someone has to call the code team. And then usually the primary nurse is the one who starts giving rep report to all the new people who come up. So like there's a special code team that takes like three to five minutes to get up there. So once they get up there, the new, the primary nurse gives report and then they'll give report again to the doctor who shows up and the respiratory therapist who shows up. There's just like so many people who come in. So you really only have like anywhere from two to five minutes where it's just the nurses on the floor, just trying to keep this patient as stable as possible before the more um, specialized team gets there. But yeah, it is a high stress <laughs> situation. <laughs> For sure. How, how different is it from in medical dramas, you'd see people running across the floor, they yeah. grab the defibrillators and they're shocking them with the paddles and <laughs> taking the IVs. How... It is... Yeah. It's very different. Yeah. It, it depends on, you know, the situation. Um, I had a patient who I called a code on, even though they were, you know, talking to me and totally comfortable. It's just their heart rate was like so fast. So we called a code but he was okay you know we weren't like running around frantic and it's not like the mo i feel like in the movies and the shows the doctor's always there you know <laughs> there's like three doctors who find the person coding and like start the code that is never happens it's always the primary nurse um and yeah the doctors take a while to all get there you know they're doing you know they're coming as fast as they can but they aren't there right away but sometimes it can be kind of frantic, but it's very organized. You know, you have a good flow. Everyone kind of you know, has a good idea of what needs to happen, getting the patient on a, turning the patient so you can put the defibrillator pads on their back, 
if they need to be shocked. Um, so yeah, it really depends on the situation, but it's not quite as crazy and dramatic as the <laughs> movie sh- and TV show show it. It's controlled stress. Yes. You, just like in a hospital, if you need to be somewhere immediately, you never run, you walk with a purpose. Yeah. And yeah. There definitely needs to be that moment of like controlling that situation as well. Yes. So if everyone starts to panic, it doesn't help anything. Exactly. <laughs> but, could you talk on the just the multifaceted aspect of nursing. We've talked about it a little bit before, but there's so much that mm-hmm. is involved with nursing. It's not just placing IVs. It's not just seeing a patient before. It's not just comforting them and pack you, but there's a lot that goes on that we might not think even yes. that a nurse does on a daily basis. I always think you would never know how much nurses do unless you were a nurse, you know? And even as a nurse, I still like do stuff that I think, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. But um, yeah, so nurses, you know, we change the linens on people's bed. We bring them food when they need it. We order their food for them. We get them up from bed and over to a chair if they need it. We'll walk the halls with them. And it all just takes time, even though it might not sound, you know, it's not hard to go get someone a can of Coke, but it takes a minute. And so all those minutes add up and your whole day is just filled. And there's just so many tasks that all come together and you wonder where did the 12 hours go? Oh yeah, I was doing like a million different things. (laughs) And yeah, and then the doctors are asking you to do all these things that you have to fit in somehow. Um, Like I told you that story a while of that doctor who wanted me to get this patient out of bed. And so I walk into the room and there's, he has six residents following him. And they wanna get this lady out of bed because she really does need to get up and moving. But she's a bigger lady. It's very hard for her to move. Her legs are very weak. And it takes all six residents to get her from the bed to the chair. And they are, like, out of breath by the end of it. And you have to move her IV pull around. You have to, she, I think she had a chest tube and an NG tube. So those are, like, two other tubes that have to come with her on the other side of the bed. And then the doctor looks at me and says, she should be getting up once a day. And the, one of the residents said, yeah, she can handle it. And I said, are you serious? <laughs> I'm just, like, one girl, and it took six of you, and... It was hard for you guys, and so they just, yeah, there's a lot that's expected of you, and we managed it. We did it. I had to get three other nurses, but we managed to get her back to bed that night with no problems. It's just a lot, Um, and you can't keep her in the chair forever, so then it's also kind of a time crunch to do that, so... There's a lot of assumptions sometimes of like, oh, yeah. of course a nurse would be able to do this, but it's actually you're doing very challenging things as well. Yeah. <laughs> there aren't always directly in the job description. Mm-hmm. And then there are things that are timed, like you have to give five o'clock meds. You only have between like four and six to give their five o'clock meds, but that's six different patients. And then they all ask you for stuff, you know, while you're in their room and it, it sounds like, oh, that's not that much to do until it is. And you're doing like a million different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're that, 
you're that voice to mediate between the surgeon and the patient. You're that person to comfort them with care, not even directly related to nursing, but just giving them mm -hmm. their dinner and caring for them in, in those ways as well. And then you're that voice on the other side of the phone a lot of times too, just that comforting presence and the like the voice behind the whole process. Yes. Like sometimes they're like the first ones you would speak to or they're the ones for the follow-up that you would call or it's mm -hmm. like a, a constant constant process of just being involved in that patient's life and Absolutely. you're involved in that constantly and that leads into the just the idea of bedside manner which is a very very important idea within nursing within the medical field an often neglected area mm -hmm. and I just I came across this quote by a nurse and I just thought it was beautiful she said when I think about all the patients and their loved ones I've worked with over the years I know most of them don't remember me, nor I them, but I do know that I gave a little piece of myself to each of them, and they to me, and those threads make up the tapestry that is my career in nursing, which yeah, is just like, great. thought it was so beautiful, because uh, you've talked about this, of just this bedside manner, and mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about that, maybe a little bit more, of just like how you try to consciously try to have that? Yeah, it's definitely, it can be hard when you're so stressed out. You, It's easy to see patients as tasks that need to get done. You have to remember to like slow down and help them feel comfortable and explain to them what's going on and answer their questions. And you really do kind of give yourself, give a part of yourself to them because it's always just a bunch of little interactions and they patients remember too i've had patients the doctor will come talk to me and then the doctor will leave and they'll say he does not have good bedside manner <laughs> and they'll say yeah you're right because he was just not super compassionate and didn't show a lot of empathy and i think that's a really showing empathy is a huge part of nursing because even if you haven't gone exactly what they're through what they are going through you can appreciate that this is something hard for them and kind of be a calming presence for them in this stressful situation. So it, uh, it definitely is hard to slow down and give your time where it feels like there's not a lot of time, you know, free time that can be given. But that's why it's important to prioritize your tasks and kind of t make one of your tasks maybe talking to this patient for a little bit each day. That's great. And to realize that that is such an important aspect that just can't be neglected is yeah. that empathy and caring for patients and taking the time to get to know them too and their stories. Mm -hmm. And I know you've talked before about how you can come into a room and the patient just immediately starts telling you just everything about them yes. and their personal yes. life and how yes. there's that immediate connection of like they can understand like and yeah. they're they can relate to me just like before you even like say anything yeah so nurses are definitely just automatically viewed as trustworthy and <laughs> probably because it is our job you know not to violate HIPAA which is you know protecting patients privacy but yeah I've had patients just tell me family drama and family secrets that I did not ask for, but I'm happy to listen, so. <laughs> yeah. Within the world of nursing, taking a broader 
idea just taking a step back. What do you believe is a crucial issue that needs to be brought to attention? Something that you believe within the nursing world needs yeah. to be said. Um, this is pro- I think this is pretty well known, but there is a nursing shortage. There is just not enough nurses, you know, working on the floor, even in every area, honestly, there's just not enough nurses. And then when there's not enough of us, we're short-staffed, and right now even management is kind of trying to get us up to six patients per nurse, and five patients is just a lot of work already. And I can't even imagine going to six. Like, I had to do it for one hour because I was waiting for one of my patients to discharge, and I got up to six, and that already was just crazy and so I'm really hoping that doesn't happen but yeah it's really hard when it feels like management whoever they are you know who does all that um they don't really understand all that goes into nursing and they think well if you can handle five you can handle six and you're like what hold on I can't handle six that is way too much um so there's definitely a nursing shortage we need more nurses but at the same time you know, because there's a nursing shortage, no one wants to become a nurse because they know, you know, it's going to be hard when they start. And so it's kind of a vicious cycle of we really need kids to go to nursing school and graduate and become nurses, but nursing school is a lot of work. So a lot of people don't go into nursing and then we don't have enough nurses and it's just, it's a rough cycle. Um, Yeah, and how we definitely can't just look at the numbers like the numbers can only say one thing but it's not just I know surgeons too can have that pressure to perform a certain number of surgeries per day and that forces them to have very limited interactions with patients right and And how you can't turn any patients away so then all these patients are coming up (laughs) and there's not enough nurses but you still you know and I think there's also an increase in the amount of geriatric older people like I think there's I think I'm right in saying there's like a higher number of people over the age of like 70 than there has been in a long time and that might also contribute to just kind of the off balance of nurses to patients but it's just it's hard because like how do you fix it if you know (laughs) and that's such a key part of nursing is that bedside manner and relating to the patients and as you increase your patient number you have less and less time to effectively do that as a nurse which is challenging and then if you are able to handle six they'll probably say well you can handle seven and you're like wait yeah it's just yeah (laughs) that's a really good issue though to bring to light because it's not just those numbers and we can't just keep stacking up those numbers but we need to just have more people join the healthcare field so yes. that we can effectively take care of each and every patient. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. How do you separate though your work in the hospital and then your life outside of the hospital? Mm-hmm. Especially if maybe that day you experience something traumatizing or challenging. Um, maybe a patient had a really hard story or something within the hospital and yeah. kind of coming back home. How do you deal with that? Um, so I'm pretty good about leaving work at work. I'd say some people aren't, you know, they can't really do that. They think about it all the time. I'm not sure why I'm good at it. Maybe it's not 
a good thing. <laughs> I don't think about work, you know, that when I go home. But I do, if something really rough happened that day, the car ride home is usually kind of when I process everything. It takes me about 25 minutes to get home. And I that whole time, I know if I don't listen to music on the way home, then I had a rough day <laughs> because you're just sitting there in silence, like driving. Um, so that's definitely kind of when I process everything. And yeah, I just, I don't really dwell on it too much, especially if people get mad at me. A lot of patients are impatient and, you know, kind of get mad at you. And I've gotten better about not letting it get to me or, you know, being personally um, offended by it. So I just kind of move on and yeah. That's good that you can use that time of transition between the hospital and coming home to process what you need to, and then by the time yep. you come home, it's like you leave that behind. It's kind of in the past. Yeah. There's a new day coming. <laughs> yeah. With outside of the workplace, what brings you joy? What do you What do you love to do outside of the mm -hmm. practice of medicine? Um. I love to go kayaking, which is also very calming, and I think that kind of helps me you know, come back to reality a little bit and just kind of relax and not it be in such like a high stress environment that the hospital is. Um, sitting outside, just being outside in general really helps a lot. I think all nurses are tempted to just sleep, you know, all day the day on their day off, which you can't blame them. It's really tiring. But just getting outside and, you know, absorbing vitamin D is really great to just stay optimistic and just kind of recharge and stay grounded. So that would be my, I'm still kind of trying to find different hobbies to get into. After college, you know, in college you just, there's always something to do. And then when you graduate, you're kind of like, well, all my friends are across the country and I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> so. It's great to, have that hobby though of being outside and mm -hmm. I have gotten into hiking a lot and I just love yeah. that ability to I love backpacking and just being out on the mountains without your phone and just yes. really helps you just reset and have those periods of just yeah. resetting yourself any kind of like activity outdoors it just always helps me yeah and really important what are your hopes for the future as you you're new to nursing, and as you continue to grow within that space, do you have any future hopes? You said med surge is usually a, a area that nurses can come through generally, and mm -hmm. then they can go more specifically later. Is there a direction you're leaning towards? I wasn't really sure. I'm still not quite sure what specialty I want to go into. So med surge was kind of the obvious choice for me as a transition point, and I'll probably be here for at least a year or two more. Just I'm at this point I'm kind of trying to gain experience, get comfortable being a nurse, get comfortable communicating with doctors and residents and other members of the healthcare team, either even just talking to patients. I I feel like I've gotten a lot better at that even in just the one year that I've been working because I'm kind of a quiet, more shy person <laughs> in general, so it definitely takes me out of my comfort zone to have to talk to so many different people during the day. But I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that. I don't really have a desire to be 
a nurse practitioner or anything, which is something you can do as a nurse. You can, you know, get to the higher um, level of being a nurse practitioner. At this time, though, I'm fine just being a nurse and kind of growing where I'm planted, if you will, and being the best nurse that I can be on this floor. So That's great. Are you, are you subscribed to any nursing publications or are there any nursing journals that you like to read? I'm actually not subscribed to any journal, but I should be because those are really informative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know each, I know like anesthesia or surgery, like they can have like journals that you can like, or magazines that like yes. are helpful to read like what's happening today. So and there's a lot of just there's curious, like but. research journals and just like personal experience journals. Those are kind of... I like watching videos that nurses say, like telling stories, because it kind of reminds you, oh, we're all going through the same thing. We've all had that like crazy patient that one day. And so it helps you connect you with all the other people in your field. That's great. What about advice for prospective nursing students? If someone's still in their undergraduate years and they are interested in nursing, but maybe they haven't started taking the necessary classes, mm-hmm. Um, how could they receive good patient experience now or maybe shadowing experience or suggestions on that? I definitely think being a PCA, which is a patient care assistant, um, is super helpful if you want to, if you know you want to be a nurse. PCAs are, they come to the hospital, they also work three 12-hour shifts, but you can probably kind of break it up the PCAs on our floor sometimes they work eight hour shifts and it's a little more flexible but they will help patients to the bathroom they'll help feed patients they'll change the linens for patients check blood sugars and just generally do kind of the more mundane things and help nurses out with their no time management but it's very humble like it is being a PCA is hard work (laughs) um and it's also very humbling, and you, and I think it's a great place to start if you know you want to be a nurse, because it kind of helps you, you know, understand everything that has to go into nursing before you, because, you know, on TV it seems really glamorous and like, oh, it's a super high-paying job. It's not. <laughs> it's a super, you know, lucrative job, and it's so, it sounds really cool to be a nurse, you don't think about all this stuff that you have to do before you even get to that point. Um, and so I think being a PCA definitely helps. And then if you are able, if you know people that you can shadow, that is also super helpful. Even doctors, like you know you don't want to be a doctor, but if you can shadow a doctor, um, it just, any way that you can get an experience in a hospital or healthcare setting will just help you know what to expect when you go in there so you're not totally blinded and you're not like disappointed by what you find (laughs) right right a lot of us might have a false perception of the glamour of medicine but it's it's not always like that yeah (laughs) yeah and chattering is an awesome experience to gain real life experience of what a profession might look like without that initial responsibility right which you you probably know a lot about because you're kind of doing it right now so (laughs) right right what about um, for those who are already nurses in the field? Is there anything you would like to encourage or, or to say to those fellow new nurses? Um, yeah, always 
ask for help if you don't know something. I think I already touched on that, but there's, it can be kind of intimidating because sometimes nurses can definitely form cliques, like they kind of hang out with their, you know, their friend group. Um, so it's scary to go ask them questions and no one, you know, there's always those coworkers that you don't quite get along with as much as other coworkers. But your charge nurse is there to ask questions, even the residents. Like, sure, they might seem like they're way smarter than you, but they're there to answer your questions. And they, you know, even if you sound dumb, you only have to answer, ask it once, and then you know the answer, and you don't have to ask again. <laughs> so I would definitely say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to like look stuff up yourself and kind of help the patient understand something better. It's really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Anything generally you want to add to those beginning their journey for medicine? Definitely don't let anyone, you know, influence you to join medicine if you're not totally sure about it. It's definitely something that you have to make your own decision about. It's very taxing but very rewarding. I love it. I'm really glad that I became a nurse and I would definitely suggest it for anyone who really wants to, you know, make a difference for people and a difference that you can kind of see, which is also really rewarding. Like you'll see that person get better throughout the days and eventually leave the hospital and it's super rewarding and I would definitely recommend it. Hmm. But That's we'll right. see. I've only been a nurse for a year. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it can can be extremely taxing, but also you have those moments of directly impacting a patient's life mm -hmm. and seeing them do better and yep. it's a really rewarding thing as well so it's just been awesome to talk with you to reconnect with you and just delve into that world of nursing so yes. thank you so much for coming on and just sharing so we appreciate thank you for it having me. thank you for tuning into this episode of voices from healthcare this podcast seeks to give practical advice to aspiring healthcare professionals and encourage those within the healthcare field. If you appreciate the message and mission of this podcast, leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to and make sure to follow the podcast so that you do not miss out on future episodes. It really does help spread the word within the podcasting world. Tune in on November 8th as I look into the world of anesthesia I will gain insight on anesthetic medication and the purposes of several types of sedative medication. I will look at the unique opportunities of pursuing a DO versus an MD, the collaboration within the OR, and how best to comfort the patient prior to surgery. He will share how he fell in love with chemistry and how this eventually led to his passion for anesthesia. He touches on advances within anesthesia that excite him formative moments that confirm his call into medicine, and the daily drama of hospital life. We look into the different anesthetic techniques used for different medical procedures and the value of resiliency within medical school. Feel free to send me professions you want me to interview, questions you have, or neat stories you want to share with me. You can email me at voicesfromhealthcare@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also check out the podcast Instagram page at Voices from HC. 
Here I'll post important updates about season launches, episode information, and more. Although this podcast seeks to be informative, information discussed cannot be taken in place of medical advice.